right, so we're on week number 11 of a teaching series called Exodus, His Move, My Groove. If you were here last week, then you had the benefit, the pleasure of, uh, of hearing Melissa speak on the waiting. It was very, very good. How many of you were here? How many of you were very encouraged? Awesome. Why don't you give my wife a quick hand? She's pretty and she can preach. Okay? And that's some alliteration for you. <laughs> so, but if you were here, you know that the main point of her message is that the waiting, she taught, taught on the waiting. She said that the waiting is as much a part of the journey as the walking. And it's true. God wants to do something in the midst of our hearts, in the midst of our lives, amidst the waiting. But see, that's the point in all of it. That's the point of, of God moving in our lives, is that he is accomplishing something. We've talked about God's active involvement in our life, and he is active in our life, whether you're walking or whether you're waiting, however it is that God is moving in our lives, it's for a purpose. I mean, maybe it is, uh, maybe it is a geographical move that God has you in, kind of like the herrings. We're moving, literally, from one place to another. We're in transition there. Or maybe it's a uh, uh, emotional, God's moving in your life emotionally or spiritually or, or even physically. Um, however God is active, there's something that he wants to accomplish in our lives. And I tell you, I don't know about you, but knowing that, that God, whatever's going on, that God's up to something, that on the other end of this season, something is going to be accomplished in my life, knowing that encourages my heart. How about you? It encourages my heart. It makes the journey uh, the process much easier. But this week I thought about how there's something else that can make the journey a lot easier as well, and that is the fact that we are not in this journey alone. None of us ever are in the journey alone. Whatever it is you're going through, know this. You are not alone. I want you to write this statement down, and this is going to kind of be the, the premise for the next two weeks, okay? And that is this. You are part of a body, and Christ is the head. Okay, you and I, we, us, are part of a body, and Christ is the head. This week, I'm going to talk about the body. Next week, I'm going to talk about Christ as the head. If you've been here long enough, or if you looked online, or wherever, you know that Soma, the name that we chose um, for this church, you know, almost six years ago, Soma is the Greek word for body. We were very intentional in several different ways when we chose the name, but also, that's how we want to function, I mean, God established something when he created the body of Christ, and it was to function as a body. Many members, but one body. And so it's not just something that we want. It's something that we believe, according to God's word, that he wants. Now, I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians 12 real quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. First Corinthians 12, and we'll start in verse 12. And look what it says. And follow every word carefully. For even as the body is one, and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also in Christ. So also in Christ basically means talking about those who belong to Christ. If you belong to Christ, you are part of something bigger than yourself. You're part of, uh, of, of something that is, is uh, unified. And it goes on to say, For by one Spirit 
we were all baptized into one body, whether Jew or Greek, whether slaves or free. In other words, there's no distinction. Uh, Everybody's equal. Nobody's better than anybody else. And we were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but member, uh, but many. Um, So think about this. When we believed the gospel, when we believe the message of Jesus Christ, and when we put our faith in him, we weren't just saved. Okay, we were saved, but we weren't just saved. We were also filled with the Holy Spirit. We received God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And it says here in 1 Corinthians 12 that the Holy Spirit baptized us or immersed us or uh, uh, placed us deeply into the body of Christ. Another way of thinking of that or saying that, describing that, is that he baptized us basically into the family of God. If you look at Paul's writings when he wrote the letters to the Galatian church, in chapter 3 he said, we are all sons of God. Through faith in Jesus Christ, we're sons of God. In Romans chapter 8, verse 14, he says, All who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. In other words, if we are being led by the Spirit, we must belong to God as sons. He goes on in verse 16 to say that the Spirit himself testifies. This is a really important verse in our faith. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Of God. In other words, we are brothers and sisters. Everybody in this room, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. That's why we, you know, sometimes in the old school church would be like brother and so and so, brother Brian and, and brother Chris. And, you know, that's why I want you guys to start calling me brother Tony. You just call me brother. Hey, brother Tony, how you doing? Some people do. I'm like, I'm all right. How you doing? You know, no, it's okay because we are. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And then another place in Galatians chapter 4, verse 6, he says, Because you are sons, Because you are daughters, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Isn't that good? Abba, Father. We have a father. We are children of God. We're family, brothers and sisters in Christ. And we are able to cry out to a father. We are family. I got all my brothers and sisters with me. You know? (laughs) We are family. Get up, everybody, and sing. Y'all remember that? <laughs> Sister Sledge. Um, so we're family. You guys get it. Um, it's just hard not to keep going. Anyway, but let me ask you a question. <laughs> let me ask you a question. How many times have we seen the nation of Israel, as we've been going through the study of Exodus, and, and how God brought Exodus Um, Israel out of Egypt, how many times have we heard the nation of Israel described as the sons of Israel? A bunch. In fact, if you look in the book of Exodus, 120 times it calls Israel the sons of Israel, the nation of Israel, the sons of Israel. So you have to remember, though there were a couple of million people moving through the desert, journeying together. It wasn't just a nation moving through the desert. It was a family moving through. You ever thought about that? They were all the sons of Israel. Jacob, 12 tribes of Jacob, 12 tribes of Israel. Remember, Jacob's name was changed to Israel. We don't know. All these people were descendants of that. Now, there were some that came out of Egypt, maybe even some Egyptians that came out and and all that. But for the most part, who God's talking to is one big, massive 
family. You ever thought about that? You know, it's like for us, you go to Dallas and a couple million people up there, you know, or let's think just Tyler. Anywhere you go, you'd be talking to a cousin. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, Melissa kind of, and I experienced that almost anyway. Um, we, had some, we had some friends over this weekend, and Melissa sent us to go get some ice cream over at Brookshire's in Lindell. And we walked in, and I no sooner walked in, I was like, hey, man, how you doing? Good. Okay, good to see you. And our friends from Dallas are like, like, you knew them? Like, yeah. And then we were walking around looking for something else. Uh, Melissa texted me, said, get something else. And we were looking for it. And I saw another guy I hadn't seen in 20 years, but it was a guy that I went to high school with. I was like, hey, Tommy, how you doing? And we talked for about five minutes. Good, it was good to see And then my friend's just looking at me like, do you know everybody? It's like, <laughs> dang near. You know what I mean? So, but think about it. A million, couple million people going through the day, and they were all related. They were all one big, happy family. It wasn't just a nation moving through the desert. It was a family. Many members moving as one unit. Does that sound familiar? I want to look at a couple of places this morning in the book of Numbers. And even though it's in the book of Numbers, a little bit ahead of the game here, it actually has everything to do with the Exodus. First, you can turn to Numbers chapter 1. Basically, Numbers chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, there's a census that happens. Look what it says. A year after Israel... Departure, uh, Israel's departure from Egypt, the Lord spoke to Moses and said, From the whole community of Israel, record the names of all the warriors. And it says, By their clans and their families. It says, List all the men 20 years or older who are able to go to war. Okay, so they took uh, a census, kind of a nose count, wanting to know everybody is that's there, but particularly looking for the able fighting men. Another way of saying that is is God wanted to know who was in the game. Who is able to make a difference in moving forward here? Okay, so he's taking a census. Okay, so that's Numbers chapter 1. You go to Numbers chapter 2. Look what it says. I lost my place. It says this. And this is talking about the camp. The Lord gave these instructions to Moses and Aaron when the sons of Israel, there it is, you see it? Sons of Israel, why? Because it's a big family. When the sons of Israel set up camp, each tribe will be assigned its own area. The tribal divisions will camp beneath their family banners, family banners, in other words, their family colors. They had like a a crest or or an emblem or whatever. We don't have time to go into that, but there was a family banner. Sometimes it was called a standard. Your Bible may say a standard. And camp on all four sides of the tabernacle, okay? I want to show you a picture of this real quick, just kind of a basic little picture of this. If you notice that little blue spot right in the middle, that's the tabernacle, okay? And in the tabernacle, we've talked about that. You girls are going through that on Fridays, um, all the worship, all the sacrifices, everything that the uh, Levitical priests would perform was inside that blue circle, okay? And so this is basically the setup of the 12 tribes, okay? But God was sp- very specific the way he said, I want you to camp around the tabernacle, okay? You see it right there in Numbers. And then you look over in Numbers chapter 10. You don't have to turn there unless you can get there quick. And basically, this describes the order of their marches, the way that Israel would march through the desert. If I'm losing you, hang on, because I'm about to get you back. Okay? This was the order of march of the sons of Israel 
by their armies as they set out. In other words, when they would travel through the desert, when they would pack up and go, there was an order that God established to it. So Judah would go first, and then Gershon, who would take care of all the cloth, Merari, who would take care of all the wood. And there's a bunch of people doing these things, not just one guy. Uh, And then Reuben would follow after them, those three tribes, the camp of Reuben. And then uh, Kohath would carry all the gold and all the articles of the tabernacle, all that stuff. And then Ephraim would follow him. And then Dan, uh, those three tribes of the camp of Dan, would follow up the rear. And God was very specific about how he laid that out. It would be, um, you could read this stuff, all these numbers, and it looks like just a bunch of numbers and names. But you have to understand that God was setting people in specific places for specific purposes. Okay, please understand it's not just a bunch of numbers. We skip numbers because it's just a bunch of numbers, but it's never just a bunch of numbers. It's God saying, I'm, I want to be very specific about something. So he's setting people in specific places for specific purposes. For example, the first tribe that would lead out was, was Judah. Think about what purpose they had. First of all, their number was the greatest. Between those three tribes that was of the camp of Judah, they had the largest numbers of people. Well, that makes sense that the People with the largest group of numbers would go forth. Think about what that meant to lead the nation of Israel, the family of God. First of all, they're the ones, first ones to pack up and go. God says, move. Oh, gosh, they got to go. Oftentimes, they were the first ones to go into battle. Why? Because they're the first ones to get hit. If somebody's attacking them or going after them, a lot of times they're the first ones to experience that. They're literally paving the way. Think about it. They're going through mountains. They're going through desert. They're going through all this stuff. And I would imagine that they would kind of play the part of the guy moving rocks so that the whole nation wouldn't trip over that or sink it. You know, they're preparing the way. I mean, think of all the things that that tribe specifically had to take care of. Think about the tribe of Levi. They were the ones that took care of the tabernacle. They're the ones responsible for the worship. They're the ones responsible for the spirituality. So they're the ones that are literally taking care of the sacrifices, literally doing the daily uh, offerings and all that stuff. And, and that's a bloody mess right there. But when it's time to go, when God says, get up and go, let's move through the desert, they're the ones that have to pack up that whole thing. They got to go get the the. the fence and put it together and carry the poles, carry all the stuff. They're the one carrying the articles of this and the articles of that, the Ark of the Covenant on the pole. They're all this stuff. They're the ones. So however they go, you guys, if they're traveling for a day or 40 days, they're the ones carrying that stuff. I mean, that's a big job. And then when you set in place, they set the tabernacle back up, tabernacle back up. There's no rest for them. Why? Because now I got to go burn the offerings. I got to go do this. I got to go do that. So that's another example of a specific purpose for one of these um, one of these tribes. And then I'll bring up the rear with Dan. And that's exactly what he did. The camp of Dan and those three tribes, they brought up the rear. Wow, that's their role. I'm bringing up the rear. You know what I mean? How many of you guys would, that's, you just love, I'd be satisfied with bringing up the rear. Most people are like, they want to be in the front one way or the other. At least in the middle, I get to see the action. Well, here's Dan in the back. You know, two things, at least. If they get attacked from behind, Guess what? They're the ones that got to deal with it. But you see, God knew that. Judah had the most numbers, but the camp of Dan had the second most numbers. God put them there for a specific reason. And another thing, I, maybe this is wrong, I don't know, but how many of you guys have been camping and you know what the worst part of camping is? What's the worst part of camping? Cleaning up. I hate that part. You know, you get your stuff ready, you're packing, I got my lantern. 
I got my thing, and I got it all packed up, and you're just, you know, you're going to the thing. And then when it's time to go, you start dreading it about the night before. God, we got to go in the morning, and you start visualizing having to clean up the tent, put out the fire, and all the stuff that you have to do. Well, that's what, that's what Dan had to do, you know? I mean, everybody probably cleaned up their own tent, but think, you know, there, it's time to march. Judah left, all the, all the stuff, and, and then they're, they're going here. And get, what do they have? <laughs> Somebody dropped their Slurpee cup. We've got to pick that up, you know. Oh, there, there's camel dung right there in the middle. Of the, you know, that guy's pooping and scooping all the way. <laughs> but you know what? That's where God put them. That's what they had to do. And you guys know what it's like to, to always be looking over your shoulder you know, again, you're on guard. I'm like, are we going to get attacked? You know, so you're looking over your shoulder and scooping, pooping. You know what I mean? And then you have the Levites right in the middle. If you notice that, that the Levites are right kind of in the middle of that, the presence of God always protected by the people. Notice they weren't first. They weren't last. They were squeezed right in the middle, protected by the rest of the family. And there's reasons for that. God, again, he, he sets specific people in specific places for specific purposes. Again, this is just an overview of, of obviously more specific callings and, and responsibilities that every tribe, uh, every clan, and really all the way down to every person had in the responsibility of moving through the desert. And, uh, and it, you know, everybody had to be a part of it. There was no disengaging from the responsibilities. There is no taking a break. If somebody took a break, it, would co- it could cost the whole family. You hear what I'm saying? If somebody said, I'm tired today. I'm going I'm I'm to go to the lake <laughs> or whatever. Well, the, the whole family felt that. It's kind of like when you do tug of war. You guys remember you, you do tug of war at youth camp or whatever. You're tugging and you're like, yeah, yeah. And all of a sudden there's like this. And why? Because one guy was up there, man, I'm not I got a booger, you know. <laughs> And all of a sudden, the whole, fa- the whole thing's suffering. Like, oh, sorry, sorry. You know? It's the same way. When, when you disengage, for whatever reason, the whole family feels the, the weight of that. Every piece of the, of, the, of the puzzle, every person in the family, every member of the body is important. Each part has a, a, a part to play that's literally been appointed and appointed and anointed by God. Okay? Everybody. Everybody, let's look at 12, uh, 1 Corinthians 12 again, 18. We're going to keep reading there. 1 Corinthians 12, we were already there, but we're going to read on a little bit further. Look what it says. And, and please listen to every word very carefully so we can get the picture. Okay, now remember what I said. Every person is set in place specifically by God for a specific person. Now look what it says over in the New Testament. But now God has placed the members... Each one of them, every one of them, no one left out, in the body, just as he desires. You guys see that? Say, just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now they are many members, but one body. And the eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body, which seem to be weaker... Are necessary, And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And our less presentable members become much more presentable. In other words, the people that we think may not be significant, believe it or not, 
And as a, as a shepherd, as a person that kind of sees the bigger picture, a lot of, those, a lot of times those are the people that, are, that have a way more significant part. Now, you guys get to see me on Sunday mornings, and that looks really important. And you know what it is. But if it was all about me, we'd be in big trouble. If this is what it took to make this family healthy, we, I can promise you we'd be in big trouble. There are people doing things behind the scenes. And I'm not even talking about just a leadership person or somebody with positions. There are people that are right back there with your kids this morning sowing the truth of God's heart. They, are, they have become an assistant coach to you. That's significant. Because I may never teach them They may never get something from this stage until they get old enough or are in here or whatever. So in the meantime, you have some assistant coaches back there hooking you up. And some of you are taking too much advantage of them. You're relying it all. You're not being a coach at all. You're making them be the head coach. Don't ever let them be the head coach. You be the head coach and let them assist you. Amen? So it goes on to say... um, Whereas our more presentable members have no need of those presentations. It says, but God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked. In other words, there's more honor sometimes given to those who seem like they're not doing anything. So that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Now, I want to I I pull out four uh, phrases here. I don't think they're up on the PowerPoint, but you can write them down, okay? Four things I want to extract from this. One is uh, he desired. You see that? In the body, just as he desired, in verse uh, 18 right there. He desired. In other words, this is something, again, that God ordained. Your place where God puts you is exactly where he wanted you, is exactly where he needed you, your unique unique personality, your unique gifting, your makeup, whatever it is, the duty, the season, the time, the job, God puts you there exactly because he wanted you there. It was his desire, his plan, um, and we got to be okay with it. Just like Dan was. Like, I'm scooping poop all the time. For 40 years, people, that's where the tribe of Dan was. Judah gets to bow up on the front. You know, we got more people. We got strong. And the posture Dan had most of the time. <laughs> the slurpy cup. You know what I mean? But you know what? That's what God ordained, and he had a reason for it. And maybe that's the, maybe you even feel like that. All I do around here is scoot poop. Uh, maybe I should move on to another example. Pick up slurpy cups, you know, whatever. But you know what? If that is the case, that's where God has you until it's time for another season. Another thing, look down in verse, um, um, wherever it is, it says, but God has so composed the body. We're going to talk a little bit more about this next week. But you guys know what a composer is in an orchestra? He's the one that leads. Okay, He's the one that's conducting. Uh, not a composer. A composer is the one that writes the music. Okay, but when you compose music, I mean, I'm, I'm through music and I've written some stuff here now. When you do it, you have it with music in mind, different instruments, especially like in an orchestra setting. And so you are literally writing things in for the purpose of this melody to be accompanied. Okay, so what he's talking about here is I am, I am putting something down. I am desiring something. I am composing something that must have an accompaniment. And so whenever he puts us into the body, it is so that we can accompany one another. You know what accompany means? It means to travel with. 
That word accompany, to accompany, means to travel with. You're not in it alone. I'm on a journey, and gosh, this is so lonely, and I'm just in this. No, you're not by yourself. If you're in it by yourself, it's because you have isolated yourself. Because according to God's word, being a part of the family of God, the body of Christ, you're not alone. If you're alone, it's because you're choosing to be alone. It would probably be a better option to choose to be accompanied by those who are like-minded and after the same end result. Amen? And then look what it goes on to say. Um, God has so composed the body, given more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division. Listen, when we're moving, and this applies especially as a church, when we're moving as a church, there can't be division. That's not what God ordained. God established things and put things in place so that there's unity. Remember, the people of God moved in the desert as a unit. That's what, it's a prophetic picture of how God wants us to operate as the family of God, as a unit, unified of the same heart and mind. And Paul talks about that all in several different places in, in, his, God, uh, in his epistles. It's very important for us to get that. And then the last thing, look what it says. The thing I want to pull out is uh, his, he desired uh, so composed, no division. And then look what it says, the same care, so that the members may have the same care for one another. See, God wants everyone. I don't know if you ever thought about this, but God wants everyone in this room to thrive. He wants you to be healthy and strong, provided for and protected. I believe that every person in any church, but I'll talk about our church. I believe every person in this church, God wants to be healthy and strong, but how can that happen? It'll happen when we understand Romans 12, verse 5. So we, who are many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Y'all listen to that. When we understand that we are just a single person in the midst of something greater, but we are actually members of each other. We are members of one another. When we understand that and when we can orient our lives to uh, reflect that, we will supernaturally be able to weep when others weep, to mourn when they mourn, to rejoice when they rejoice. You guys hear what I'm saying? It's hard for us to do that, you know? For us to even care what others are going through, much less weep if they're going through something difficult, you know? But when we are understanding that, and when we're orienting our life uh, as be, knowing that I'm a single member of a bigger body, something happens supernaturally. I mean, seriously, when you're walking, not alone, well, I'm doing my thing, I'm doing, but you're walking in a sense that I'm part of something bigger. And not just while we're here, even at home. Even at home, knowing that you spend the time to train your children in the word is doing something for the greater body. Does that make sense? Knowing when you see someone in need and instead of saying, Pastor Tony, I saw that somebody was in need. Could you all meet that need? Which that doesn't happen. Fortunately, we have the body that does this. So I'm kind of preaching to the choir. But instead, you take your, you take your crock pot over there and say, I brought you some food. That happens all the time. Or people writing someone a, a check because they heard they were $42 late on their electric bill, or whatever. When we live our lives oriented, knowing that I am a single person that God put in place for specific purposes, and I can be a part of something greater, we will supernaturally, by the Holy Spirit, have an ability that we couldn't even imagine that we would have, but we will. And that is to rejoice when others rejoice. 
to mourn when they mourn, weep when they weep. And take care, see needs and take care of needs. It's unbelievable. How many of you have experienced that? How many of you experienced someone out of the blue coming up to you and meeting a need that you weren't even asking for them to meet? Raise your hand high. In this body, it happened. Oh, it's okay. You're like, oh, not, not in this body. Well, it's okay. I know it happens a lot in this body. And how many of you know that God has used you to meet the needs of someone else in this body? Yeah. It's, there's nothing like it. Why? Because it's supernatural. It's not normal. It's abnormal. It's, what did I speak on a couple weeks ago? It's not ordinary. It's extraordinary. <laughs> Y'all remember that? Okay. Um, so we're not alone in the journey. Uh, not only are we not alone, I want you to see something before we close. Not only are we not alone, we have this built-in support system in the body of Christ, the church, the family of God, that is empowered really by the same love that put Christ on the cross, that led Christ to the cross. Please hear me. Not only are we not alone, we are driven by, we, are, um, uh, we have a support system that is literally driven by love, the same love that, that led Christ to the cross. And I want to show you something about this you know, we read these things in numbers, and we're like, oh, number this, number that, 450,000 there, 100 Listen, I want to show you something, okay? Remember what I said, that there were specific numbers? I want to read these numbers to you. On the east side, y'all listen to me. On the east side, don't change any slides. On the east side of the camp was the camp of Judah, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun, okay? And they had a total number of 151,000. That's not right. It's supposed to be 186,000. I typed it wrong, um, people on their side, okay? The camp of Reuben on the south side had 141,450, okay? The camp of Ephraim on the west side had, oh, I didn't write it in there, but it's roughly the same, 149,000, right, right around the same as Reuben. And then the camp of Dan had the least amount. And when you look at that and you describe, it, it describes how they had the camp around the tabernacle, this is what you see. Yeah, see that? Some of you have maybe seen that or heard that before. But the way that they had to camp in the desert, the way God ordained it, literally put the people of God in the shape of a cross. So if you were standing on hills, if you were walking by and you're like, what's going on down there? Looks like a big cross to me. Can you believe that? The numbers are so specific. I mean, you can see the numbers up there. The numbers are so specific. You can see on the east side the most amount of people. And, and well, couldn't it have been square or no? Because it says they had to, they had to be camped on the east side, not the northeast, not the um, uh, northeast or not the southeast, east. In fact, you can see right here, and this this picture doesn't do a great job of it, but you can see how the ta- uh, the uh, Levites were camped right here. The tribes could not camp or line up past the width of however it was the Levites were to camp. So it couldn't have been out in here because that would be southeast or northeast. It had to be straight back. And so that forced them to be shaped in the cross. You guys see that? So right there in that picture of out in the Israel, I mean, the people of Israel, the family of God, camping around what we know to be the heart of God, the tabernacle, the worship, literally is a picture of Jesus. The cross. What hung on that cross? 
the body of Christ. Judah and the camp of Judah would have been kind of like the, the legs and feet. Ephraim would have been like the upper torso. And you got uh, uh, the tribe of Dan and the tribe of uh, Reuben, kind of the arms and, and, and then right at the heart. Where, if, if, if there was a body laying on that cross, what was right at the, where the heart would be? The presence of God. Do you guys see that? Out in the desert, God was trying to tell us, it's all about my son. And we'll talk about that more next week as the head. And it's about the family of God centering their lives around the gospel. Amen? You guys remember the sons of God were lined up in such a way as really to, to best protect the whole family. And it's the same thing with us. God orients this. He, he set this up so that we will thrive, we'll be protected. And I thought about a couple things, and we'll end with this. What has, God has put people in our lives uh, to go to battle with us. Who was it that he cho- Where did these go back? Where did, where did those numbers come from? Those were the able fighting men. Remember? The ones that were like, I'm in this. The ones that can be counted on to help the people be protected, thrive. Amen? And so it's the same thing. Who, who, um, we have people, when we are part of a body, part of a family, and we're active and we're, we've oriented our lives in this, there is a protection that comes. And I thought about three things in, in particular. People that will go to battle with us against the enemy. Okay? Prayer warriors praying for people when, when uh, people are, are under oppression or attack from the enemy coming against them. We can pray. You instantly have a support system. People praying for me. Also against the flesh. Because sometimes we don't need the enemy jacking with us. We can do a fine job on our own. Right? I got enough fleshly desires in me. I don't even need a devil behind that bush. I'm just making this choice on my own. Well, guess what? When you're part of a family, family members don't let family members suffer. If they do, they're not a very good family member. Amen? And then I just thought about this, and this is kind of more simple, but just all things discouraging. All things discouraging. Sometimes we're going in life, and life is a discouragement. Remember what I said? It was a family moving through the desert. A desert is an is a example of difficult times. Seasons of thirst, seasons of hunger, seasons of weary feet. And when you have a body around you, a family around you, you have someone that's able to encourage you. It's kind of like, you know, maybe the people were walking and maybe the, maybe the Levites were carrying the ark. And it's heavy, man. That ark wasn't light. And they're like, oh, man, they're walking. I've been walking for days, you know. But they're telling jokes, you know, and they're making fun of other tribes. They're doing all the stuff that they do. You know, it's kind of like when you stand at the line at uh, Six Flags or some amusement park, it stinks to stand in. Like, when you get separated from your friends and you've got to go ride a ride by yourself, you're just like, and it's a long line, and it takes forever. But when you've got a friend beside you, that time passes by so fast. Why? Because it's just kind of better to be with people. You guys know what I'm talking about? I don't like to ride big roller coasters by myself. I certainly don't like to stand in line by myself. But that's what it's about. So we have people that go to battle with us against the enemy, against the flesh, just all things discouraging. Difficult times, desert times, desert places. And I just want to, you can go ahead and stand up. I want to encourage everybody today on a couple of different levels. If, you're, if you are going through a discouraging time, please know that you're not in it alone. You're a part of the body. If you're not, if you're not a believer, if you haven't been born again, 
If you haven't uh, received Christ as your Savior, been filled with the Holy Spirit, you know, you may not feel that. You may not even understand all that. But man, as, as believers, we have instantly, according to 1 Corinthians, we've been uh, just baptized, just thrust deep down into this family. And there's benefits being a part of a family. Amen? So today, at one, I want you to be encouraged. If you're discouraged right now, reach out to someone in this body. And maybe you have great family, personal family that has nothing to do with Soma. I get that. But please know that there is, an, there is encouragement harnessed in this body. Amen? There's encouragement that is to be found here. And also, I want to encourage you to, um, to, uh, to orient your lives around understanding that you're part of a body. Don't be isolated, not just isolated in the sense of I'm alone, but do something. Are you an able fighting man or woman? Are you able? Do something. Do something. Are there things, are there areas where you could get involved at SOMA? You know, a great example would be children's ministry. Again, we talked about it. There's always need for children's workers. Why? Because there's a bunch of them. You know, and when you get more than two of those, you know how it says in the scripture, where two or more are gathered in my name, there I'll be with them. Well, how that applies to the, to the kids is where there are two or more, everybody duck. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so, listen, it's important. If you don't, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know what God's specific purpose. And then go, go serve in, in the children's ministry until you do. And go help Sean run some PowerPoint. You guys ever heard of the 80-20? 80 principle? No, it's not even a principle. It's a dilemma. That's when 80% of the people of the church only do 20% of the work, but 20% of the people do 80% of the work. I pray to God that we never, a, a, a church that is named the body, that we would never be an 80-20 church. But you know what? We're growing. We're growing. And if we all don't understand and orient our lives around being a member of the body of Christ, we'll be just like every other church, struggling. The dilemma, the 80-20 dilemma. How many of you guys, that's the kind of church you want to be? You want to go out and you're on vacation and you meet other Christians and you're telling them about your church back home. And Well, tell me about your church. Well, we're an 80-20 church. And like who would want to brag about that, right? They'd be like, dang, sounds just like my church. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but that's not what we're after, is it, guys? We don't want to be an 80-20 church. Well, what does that mean? It means open up your eyes, see needs, ask where you can serve. And you know what? Maybe there's nothing going on at Soma. Serve somewhere in the community. Serve somewhere. Serve somebody. Because that's what it means to be a part of the family of God.